following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello, everyone. It's Pastor Alan here. Uh, I hoped I was going to be able to join you today in person. I was looking forward to finally getting back to uh, being having in-person services, but Obviously, I wasn't able to, and so I hope that you find this message a blessing. Uh, We are continuing our series that I've called the Calibration Series, where um, we all need to, on an ongoing basis, make sure that we're rightly aligned with God and His Word. And while that's something we should do every day of our lives, and as we spend time with Him in His Word and in prayer— there are other times when we need to focus on this uh, in, in a special sort of way. And, and there have been times in, in biblical history, we're going to be looking at one eventually, where God's people were called back to God in a very, very powerful way. And we're going to get there. We're going to be looking at the story of Elijah eventually. But I felt I needed to give biblical context to all the things just about that got us or gets us to that story. And so, uh, we're, we're going to be looking particularly at, uh, King David. Uh, we'll be looking at his life before he became king, but we'll be looking at, at David, uh, and, and seeing the special part that he plays in, in the background to eventually leading us to talking about Elijah, but also in understanding what it means to be what David was, which was a man after God's own heart. Before I continue, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time thinking about your word and hearing what you say through it. Would you please guide me in this, and may this time be a real blessing uh, to all who see and hear it. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the the themes that keeps coming up as I've been sharing, we actually spent some time doing an overview of, of, of the Bible up to this time of the early kings of Israel. One of the things that's a theme, and I think it's a theme all the way through all of Scripture, are the words from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's it's this. It's, it's this turning to self and turning to other things, turning to the things of the earth, rather than being focused on God and what he says, that got our first parents, Adam and Eve, in trouble which got the whole creation into trouble, and that continues to get us into trouble. Whether we know God and believe that he's, that, uh, maybe I should say, if we don't know God, that, that still, people are misguided. People do not live the lives that they were designed to live because they don't pay attention to what God is saying. And this is also true for people who know God, just because we know Him. And because the Lord might be precious to us, that doesn't mean that we're paying attention to what He says. And that's why I believe we need to do a calibration series to see how we are misaligned uh, with God's Word and get back to uh, to where God wants us to be. And so... Last week, uh, we looked at uh, the disastrous beginning of the kingdom of Israel, uh, where after the time of the judges, which is a, which is a time of 
anarchy. God, people were doing what they thought, whatever they thought was right, and then they get into trouble, call out to God, God would send them a deliverer, and then everything would be okay, uh, while that deliverer called a judge would be alive, and then he died, and the people would turn back to their own ways, and it kept going like this for about 400 years. And against the backdrop of that, they, they wanted to have a king like the other nations had. And, uh, and e- even though, and we looked at this last time, even though the establishment of a kingdom was in the plans and purposes of God, which would eventually lead to the coming of the Lord, the King, Je- Lord King Jesus. This was in God's plan, but in that time and how the people uh, wanted it, it was humanly derived, not God divine, God uh, uh, derived. It's much like the Tower of Babel where the people wanted to create something that would give themselves security and safety and fame. And we've been doing it ever since. We're back again. This is not living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is humanly derived living. And as God's people, we really should know better. But the dynamics of life and the world in which we live distract us and tempt us and confuse us. And, and, and often we don't realize that we've begun to ad- adopt humanly derived methods and principles. We often confuse good ideas with God's ideas. And there's lots of reasons why that is. We don't have time to get into that, but we're going to be looking at someone that somehow for the, the, if the core of his life, a man who was able to live a truly godly life, which should give us hope that, and especially with our knowing God through his son, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, we could be like David, a man after God's own heart. So let's do a bit of an overview of his life and then, um, we'll, have some reflections at the end. And so David was the youngest of his family, from a big family, and he was the youngest. And um, we see how he is basically disregarded, because when the prophet Samuel was sent by God to find who was going to be the next king after the disastrous decisions of Saul and the, and, and where he was heading and, and how he was turning from God, um, the Lord sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, David's father, and he sees David's older brothers and, and starts right off with the oldest one. And, they, and he says, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. Anointed is, they used to pour oil over the heads of kings and priests to specially set them apart uh, for God's special service. And so he thought this was the one, this was the new king. And, and God said, don't look at the outward appearance. The Lord, the, the Lord looks at the heart. And eventually, he was led to the son that was out in the field. Everyone else was in the house with their dad, but David was out working in the field, and he was the one. Uh, he wasn't there when the prophet came to the house. He was doing something else, but God brought him out of that disregarded secret place, and in secret, anoints him. No, no big fanfare, only the, only the family knew, and nothing was said. Very often, when uh, we get a promotion or get an opportunity, uh, we want to make a big deal out of it. Um, and it's just, it's kind of natural. We want to, you know, we have our business cards and we have our uniforms and we have our, the, the author's name on a book, his picture in the back. And I've, I've done that 
myself. And but God seems to do a lot of what He does in secret. And there was probably a, a very good practical reason in the, in this case because of the dynamics that David was going to have to face in dealing with the the reigning king Saul. Um, he still ended up with great conflict, but it would have been a lot worse if there would have been all that fanfare and, and publicity uh, that he was going to be the new the new king instead of the reigning king uh, Saul. We see that he's an able shepherd, that he was good at his job. We don't know exactly how old he was when he was first called. Uh, we're going to get soon to, to the story of him fighting the giant Goliath, and, and there's many uh, depictions of that where he's a little kid, little kid with a slingshot. And he didn't use a slingshot, he used a sling, the kind that you twirl around. And the getting a little ahead of myself, but the, the stones that they used were probably the sizes of uh, the size of softballs, not pebbles. Um, he was very good at what he did. He was probably a later adolescent. He, he at, at this time, he might have been in his very late teens when he fought Goliath. He, he might have been 20. He still would have been regarded as a youth, but not as not he, he wasn't a kid. Um, but he was a, he was a very young man. Um, so that, that he was an able shepherd. And before the victory over the giant Goliath, um, by this time, Saul had become, um, oppressed by demons, unclean spirits, because he'd been rejected by God twice and he'd become dejected. And so we read in the scripture, how God would send these tormenting spirits um, that would basically depress him. And then somebody uh, among his people had the idea that they knew about this, this, this liar player. I'll try not to get lost in the puns. Um, a, a liar is a handheld uh, plucking string instrument. And they knew there was this young man, David. He wasn't just a shepherd. He was also a musician. And they had the idea, let's bring David in. And when Saul is going through one of his states, uh, oppressive states, David could play the lyre, and that would likely soothe Saul, which is exactly what it did. And one of the reasons why we need to take how we do music and song in church very seriously, because music isn't simply nice sounds. Songs are not just sentimentality. Uh, they're power. They really are power. They're not magic. They're not magic. But God has given us this wonderful gift of expressing his truth, expressing uh, who he is in, uh, in this, this, through this vehicle of music and song. Years ago, I helped organize a, a citywide worship conference. Uh, back, it was 2004, I believe. And the main speaker, who's a a pastor of ours from many years ago. Uh, his name was Andy Park. His name still is Andy Park. And one of the things that he that he said in his teaching is that a worship leader is a reality revealer. Revealer. I don't know if I'm saying it properly. A reality revealer. He reveals reality. It's that's one of the functions. I guess that should be true for all of us, right? That as as people representing God, we should always be representing reality. But there's something about the potential in worship, uh, of and worship in song and other forms of, of declaring God's truth and goodness, speaking out his word in public that connects people with God's reality. And somehow that must have been what happened as David played the lyre, 
uh, and, and likely he'd been singing songs. Maybe some of the psalms that he wrote uh, were uh, originally spontaneous songs uh, in the court of Saul. We don't know that for sure, of course, but it was a very powerful therapeutic tool in Saul's life. Well, so that was this first entrance into the king's court. So remember, picture it now. Here he is. He's been anointed by the prophet that he's going to be king. And the next thing you know, he gets called into the king's court. I know if it was me, I would I would start to get kind of kind of really worked up. Look what's happening here! All of a sudden, I've got a job with the king. Um, but anyway, all we know is that he was faithful in in doing what he'd been asked to do. The next thing is. Goliath. So this champion of the Philistines, and during this time period, it was this coastal people who were the great nemesis of the people of Israel. Um, and uh, there's a scene where the battle lines are drawn between the Philistines and the Israelite army, and the this great champion who's is a, a true giant, about seven feet tall, um, is taunting the armies of Israel and challenging them that you send out a champ, your champion, whoever wins. The, the other nation will be subservient to the that nation. I think that, you know the story anyway. So nobody wants to do it. The people of Israel or the army shaking in their sandals. Um, and he comes out day after day after day. And, and David's brothers are there in the army of Israel. And he's taking care of the sheep. Um, and it seemed what he would do, he would take care of the sheep. Then he'd go and play music for Saul. And then he'd go back to his, his sheep job. And... Um, uh, so his father, Jesse, wants David to take some provisions to his brothers, and that's how he gets exposed to what's going on with Goliath. And he he can't believe what he's seeing. He can't believe what he's hearing, that this Philistine is taunting the armies of the Lord of hosts, the great God of Israel. And you know the story, make it short, he offers himself to fight uh, Goliath. And going back to what I said earlier, uh, he... Um, even he has an interaction with Saul. Saul wants him to wear his armor. That doesn't work for David. And uh, so he goes out in his normal shepherd clothes. And uh, it, again, don't think that it's a, it's a situation where he, this little kid closes his eyes and, and throws this, the, the, the pebble and, oh, oh, look, like a miracle happens and he kills Goliath. It's, it's still an act of God's power through the faith and confidence and faithfulness of David. But David knew how to fight. He talked about fighting wild animals off of his sheep. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will become like one of them. And he went out in confidence and he struck Goliath dead. Um, and so we see here that he was the only faithful warrior in all of Israel. And that's that situation and that victory is the thing that ends up connecting him to Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan would have been in line to be the next king, and Jonathan and David become besties, like really, really close best friends. Um, also, David becomes immediately popular. And uh, so in the social media of their day, which was um, songs being sung, um, they were they were they were saying that um, Saul had killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And it was, you know, something like, you know, uh, Saul is wonderful, but David is more wonderful. That's what they were singing. And and um, whether they should have or shouldn't have, uh, 
can't say, but Saul's reaction to that was immediate murderous jealousy. And let's look at how some of that was expressed. Uh, this is 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 through 10. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. I'm thinking about likes and Facebook. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, this is not the first time, and he raved within his house while David was playing the liar, wasn't doing his, his, its normal normal job, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. He actually tried to murder David. Now, we're talking about David. We talked about Saul last week. So let's think about David. Here's David just doing his job. Here is David. Nobody else wanted to fight Goliath, and praise God, he was able to defeat Goliath, which then, that's when the Israelite army got some confidence and they, and they won the battle. And so David did what the, the job that Saul needed somebody to do, but because of how the people reacted, now here's David you're going to be the next king, and the current king wants to kill him. And this goes on uh, basically to the end of, of Saul's life. In fact, this same murderousness from Saul is also against Jonathan. Um, Jonathan had become friends with David. Jonathan tried speaking up truth uh, to his father, and that led Saul to want to kill Jonathan, which is what led Jonathan to fully understand that Saul's murderous anger was not going to be appeased. And um, this is what leads to David actually taking off and, and running away. Um, you know, in a sense, and again, think of it from David's perspective. How did David get into this mess? Did David do anything to, to let, I don't usually like saying this, but did he do anything to deserve it? I used to think in the story of Joseph that Joseph was 100% innocent in how his brothers ended up mistreating him. But did Joseph really have to? Um, it sounds from the text in the story of Joseph that he bragged about his dreams. But even he didn't have to tell his brothers his dreams that seemed to suggest that one day they would bow down to him. There's still no excuse. The brothers shouldn't have mistreated him. But still, it does look like Joseph maybe provoked them. But David, David was just doing what he needed to do. Nobody else wanted to fight Goliath. It's not David's fault that the the, the crowds uh, so appreciated what he did. Uh, they may, It would have been better maybe if they hadn't sung songs of comparison, but that wasn't David's. That wasn't David's fault. And Saul had already been a, a mess. He'd already, by this time, been um, afflicted by unclean spirits. He was already going down this very, very dark path before David comes on the scene. If anything, David was helping him in, in more ways than one. And so here's David just trying to do what God's calling him to do. And now the king himself is using his resources to try to kill him. And so he ends up going, he's living in caves he ends up living in exile. He goes into the land of the Philistines, of all places. 
And so through this all, David needs to endure. And we often think, you know, if God equips us to do some great thing, then it's going to, you know, it's, we're going to be like Superman kind of, kind of idea. And that like, any, the Bible teaches anything but that when we are drawn into the plans and purposes of God, maybe not like David. Very few people have ever been like David, except Lord Jesus. No one's, there's Lord Jesus and there's David, but we can be like David in that we are called to doing the things that God wants us to do. And very often that happens in very difficult situations. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this calibration series. We're going to be looking at Elijah and, and the situation that he was in. But here's David, one of the, um, the man is called a man after God's own heart. And he's running for his life with the resources of the political machine of his day going out to destroy him. And so in the midst of that, this is where he writes some of his psalms. And so I'd like to read Psalm 57. And we need to be thinking, we need to be thinking in terms of what David was going through and try to connect with which with what he was facing. Um, I'm reading the very beginning of the psalm. A lot of people don't realize that in the English Bible, uh, the some of the bits before verse 1 are actually part of the text as this is. It says, To the choir master, according to do not destroy, which could be a tune, um, a miktam, which is a type of song, a miktam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put, uh, he, he will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will give, I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Do you hear the tension? In this song, remember the Psalms are songs. Do you hear the tension in this song where David is suffering? David is running away from somebody who wants to murder him. And yet he knows God is good and he cries out to God, but he's honest also about his situation. And he's able to express what's really going on. And yet he's putting his trust in God and he's looking to him for help and he's expressing confidence all at the same time. And so in the midst of having to endure Saul's murderous attempts, he's also fighting Israel's battles at the same time. While he's hiding away, he's already, some men have been gathered to him, 
And they're going out on raids. And they're undermining God's enemies. They're actually doing the work that the king is supposed to do. And it's it's interesting how David uh, understood that it was not his place to take Saul down, even though that Saul was a mess. Saul had was falling into this, going deeper and deeper into this dark, uh, evil hole. But he knew it was not for him to take Saul down, and yet. He was doing the, what God had called him to do, even without the system, even without the resources, even without the title. He was true to what God was calling him to do. And you know, in the midst of it all, he's on the run. He ends up taking care of his family. First Samuel 22.3, And David went from there of Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, that's the other side of the Jordan River, the other side of the Dead Sea, a foreign nation, neighboring nation, but foreign nation. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. He knew they were likely in danger. He knew that he couldn't give them the attention that they needed. And yet he took time out from running away and fighting Israel's battles to take care of his family. Uh, which is v- very biblical. Paul says in one of his letters that if we don't take care of our families, we're worse than unbelievers. And so David's a wonderful example. So eventually Saul dies a, a dismal death. Uh, as I say, he goes deeper and deeper into this dark hole, and that's what opens the way to David's reign. And it takes him about six years to unite Israel. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Maybe we'll talk about it a little later. We don't give it a lot of thought, uh, because originally Israel starts off as a united, na- united nation, as a united nation, and then splits into, into north and south. But that split that it happens eventually, uh, under this, this, one of the sons of Solomon, uh, that there seemed to be this tribal tension that was there. And we see it, uh, when David, first begins to rule over the southern part of Israel called Judah and takes him years before he's able to unite the whole nation. Then he establishes the capital of Jerusalem um, and then uh, he has a sense in his heart that he is to build a temple for the Lord. Up to that time, the the Ark of the Covenant was like the center of the worship of God was in a tent. Don't have time to get into all those details, but it was God that put on his heart uh, to build a more permanent house. And yet he was told by the prophet Nathan that it was not for him to build this house, but it was for his son to do it because David had so much blood on his hands. That's the reason given. In the, the midst of the prophet speaking the word of God to David about these plans— um, about his future, uh, we read this. This is 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and uh, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him in the rod of, with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul." whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is often called the Davidic covenant, the covenant given to David, God's solemn promise that his kingdom would reign forever, no matter what. And we'll look at that as we go, we go down. And so, uh, David 
David becomes the model king of Israel. But even though that happens, that doesn't mean that David was perfect. There's only one perfect man, the Lord Jesus. There's no, no one else was ever of that moral and spiritual quality. Uh, and yet David is the model king. Um, there were two serious wrongs that he had done. One uh, was 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 a double wrong in his adultery with Bathsheba and his arranging for uh, basically to cover up his sin. He worked out a way that her husband would die in battle so then she could be David's wife. And then people would think that, they, they, anyway, I got a little mixed up there, so let's get back on it. And so anyway, it was, it was a cover-up. It was very, very wrong. Then later on, he um, he takes a census that he was not supposed to take, uh, and then God uses that to establish where the temple was going to be that doesn't make what David did right. Um, but, but the big wrong was the Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, the sin, uh, the double sin of adultery and murder. And um, the, the thing with David, though, is it, it seems it took about a year, but he finally repented. Um, unlike what many other kings later would do, many other people would do, in not repenting when they've done wrong. And we'll, we're going to come back to that uh, as, as we wrap up in a moment. Um, but, but with that, so he wasn't perfect, but unlike Saul, he did repent when he did wrong. And so here's a few ref- reflections as we close. So David was able to become successful by enduring the ongoing trials. He was not picked up on some godly magic carpet and and and, fl- and flew over the clouds of, of difficulty. No, God took him right into the fiery difficulties instead. He was disregarded. He, uh, he was, um, Saul was jealous of him. He had to live with that. I don't know if anyone's ever been jealous of you. This stuff's not fun. Uh, attempted murder twice. Um, Temptations. Now we might think all oh, the temptations of you know temptation with Bathsheba. Yes, but he was tempted to kill Saul twice, and he didn't do it. He also had the temptation of fame, and he didn't take it. Those things are not easy. Rejection, exile, the family burdens, and of course all the battles against en- enemies. Jesus faced much of the same, of having to face difficulties. It's the same for his followers. Jesus' followers, that's us, are called to live a godly life in the midst of great difficulties. And we're now in very, I believe, we're in dark, challenging times. And it's not just the things to do with COVID. I talk about this a lot because I believe it needs to be talked about. That's why I do it. But we were already in very dark times, many things that were happening, where where government is trying to control uh, what we say uh, in in. In, in the in academia, in politics, of course, in the media, and in churches. Uh, there is a good chance that we're going to see a challenge soon where the Bible itself will be called hate speech because it doesn't agree with the prevailing narrative. And my brothers and sisters, we are not ready for that. We should have been ready for it, but we're not ready for it. Christian leaders are not ready for it. Pastors are not ready for it. God's people are not ready for it. And we've run out of time. We need to be ready now because the oppressive, the oppression is going to come down upon us something brutal 
And we're going to have to look at somebody like David, but of course the Lord Jesus, for the inspiration to endure. There's one more challenge that David faced that unless we're willing to face this challenge, we're done for. What is that challenge? Failure. David faced failure. He failed with regard to Bathsheba and Uriah. He failed with regard to taking that census. He failed with regard to some of his close family members. Didn't have time to cover that, but there was after the the situation with Bathsheba, there was a lot of of conflict right within his family. David failed, but God redeemed his failures. God brought about Solomon, the second child of Bathsheba, to be one of the greatest kings of Israel. We're going to look at him next week and the trouble he got himself into. He brought about the temple. And I know in the New Testament, we start to see negative things about the temple, but that, but God inspired the temple. God dwelt in the temple. People met with God in the temple. It was of God. It had its use for it for a time. And the reason why David was able to accomplish what he accomplished and glorify God and be the model king that he really was, was because he didn't only fail, but he dealt well with his failures. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And until we can admit that, and not just, oh, before maybe we came to the Lord, uh, I got a chance to, to share my testimony with a over Zoom with a, a Filipino church in Toronto. Um, and I got to tell my story. Many of you know my story. I didn't know anything about being a sinner until that, that particular day and discovered I was, I was a sinner and I needed God's forgiveness. And maybe there's somebody, uh, in person today, watching this later, listening to it, that you've never grappled with the fact that you're a sinner. And until you do, you will be stuck. You will go down a path of darkness and you will perish. But you don't have to. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no failure that God cannot redeem. Whatever we've done, or whatever we might be doing, if we are willing to confess that to the Lord and turn from it, then He will take our lives and He'll make something beautiful out of them. It's not too late. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your offer through your Son of eternal of eternal life. We thank you for the wonderful model of godliness we see in David, a man after your own heart. May we be people after your own heart, O Lord. Please, and show us where our hearts are turned in other directions. Show us where our hearts have grown cold. Show us where our hearts have gotten hard. And may you soften them. May you warm them. May you turn us afresh to you that we would truly walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca Thank you.